Before we start the show today, I'd like to, after spending a couple of weeks now listening and watching all the stuff having to do with Michael Jackson, I what I'd like to do is turn our attention to a real hero and bring some attention to someone who deserves it. And I'd like to talk just for a second about Lance Corporal Bud Coat. Lance Corporal Coat was killed recently when his Humvee was destroyed by an IED in the Al Anbar province. He was born in California and grew up in Las Vegas. Just outside of uh, Tucson, the parents moved to Marana, where he grew up, met his wife, Zareda, while they attended summer school. Bud never finished school, but got his GED and then enlisted in the Marines in 2005. He married Zareda about a year ago, and he was described as fun, energetic, and proud of the job he was doing in the Marines. So Lance Corporal Cote, I wanted to have some media coverage of my own for someone who I believe truly deserved it. And now we'll start the show. Go for Papa Palpatine. What do you mean they blew up the Death Star? Who's they? What the hell is an Aluminum Falcon? Hi, this is Aluminum Falcon, and I never listen to the Order 66 podcast. D20 Radio, where gamers roll. Execute Order 66. This episode of the Order 66 podcast is brought to you in part by our sponsors GoDaddy.com and Audible.com and the generous contributions of John Ragwell of Woodbridge, Virginia. And this show, sir, is for you. Well, howdy, Gamer Nation. This is Sunday. Um, I'm not sure what, like July 19th or something. And something, something. That's what I said. And you're here for episode number 74 of the Order 66 podcast. Woohoo! Yeah. I'm GM Dave, and with me is a collection of characters that rival no one else in the video game industry. <laughs> Role-playing industry, any other industry, I might add. First, GM Chris. What is up, Gamer Nation? It is I, GM Chris, and uh, for those of you who have walked into this sultry sultana of the Sulouise for the very first time, uh, this is the Order 66 podcast, the only fan-generated podcast entirely devoted to the greatest D20 role-playing system to ever hit a battered coffee table in someone's basement, Star Wars Saga Edition. And uh, joining me, of course, is uh, the incomparable, the inestimable, and the impressive Twi'lek goodness. That would be me. You sound like you're stuck on I-words tonight. Is that really? going to be throughout the cast? He's stuck uh, on I. Uh, he's usually stuck on I most of the time. Usually me, 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 me. I think this, is, this could be an, an alliterative episode of the Order 66 podcast. 
<laughs> oh, jeez, here we go. <laughs> but, uh, well, alliterative is with an A, though, so. Right. Well, yes, yes, yes. That's all right. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> At least he gets a few points for trying. Yeah, I mean, that's fine with me, dude. I mean, hey, I'm all about uh, trying. <laughs> Are you now? Yeah, sure. <laughs> Why not? By Just, the way, sir, nice announcement off the top of the show. Uh, thank you for uh, thank you for doing that. Oh, calling out Lance Corporal Bud Coat. Yes, yes. I actually had that last week, and then I forgot to play it like a dork, and so I figured I'll do it this week. I'm actually totally stoked because one of our fans who is uh, a serviceman who's serving in Iraq right now is actually on leave uh, right now, actually for the, like the next two weeks, and he's actually going to be driving through Dallas at some point and is going to be stopping by and spending some time with us, and that would be full-on gamer. Yep. Yeah. So I'm totally excited. He's supposed to be coming in uh, this coming weekend, actually, um, like either Friday or Sunday, either on his way in or on his way out, one of the two. <laughs> cool. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. See, that, that might replace Stormtrooper poetry. We'll do a... Profile of a soldier every week. How about that? Profile of a soldier. Yes. Very good. And next week, the I, unknown I like, soldier. I like Wookiee poetry, though, personally. Yeah, it'll I work mean, once. It'll, it'll, <laughs> it'll, it'll be funny once. <laughs> and you know what? It was. Yes. It was very funny that one time. Oh, well. well we, now we need Ewok poetry. and We have another candidate sent in by old school for replacing Stormtrooper poetry, and we'll get to that a little bit later in the show. Oh, boy. Yes. But now... Accessing... Ah, good. New acquisitions. Greetings, Gamer Nation. My designation is KCK Sim, and this is your Hollow News Net update. So to say that the race is on, and here comes Pride in the backstretch, heartache ducking to the inside. I'm telling you, <laughs> we've got ourselves a horse race going on. Yes, we do. Um, and the, the first part of that would be coming around the, uh, the backstretch there is Brian and Andy, who hit us up this past week with a return of Game On, episode 26, Call Collect, in which uh, the boys hold your hand and walk you down the long, dark, pitiful path of creating your very own gaming collection. Pitiful. Now, now how long have they been, uh, been making these episodes? Oh, I, honestly, you know, I, I, I if don't... we go by average per week, I think there might be a clear winner. I don't know. Oh, uh, yeah, there you something. go. Way to way to go ahead and call out our shows. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's that's. Yeah, <laughs> thanks, thanks, Gigi. What's that? What's up? What's, what's, what's up with that? What's up with that? And you know that you know that Tim knows where you live. <laughs> oh shoot! It's just motivation. That's all. That's all I'm trying yeah, to do. Uh... Yeah, it's that negative reinforcement. That's what it is. <laughs> uh, not really, but you know. So okay, so it's, yeah, it's what works with my husband. So you know, yeah, it works. So, yeah, it works on most men. Anyway, yeah. so they put up twenty six, and so not to be outdone, of course, Radio Free Hamlet, <laughs> Duck into the Inside, Adventure twenty six, all about the barbarian. The whole <laughs> both very interesting, <laughs> unique, and. 
very disturbing barbarians. Yeah, there you go. Thank you. No problem. I will will have my own kingdom. (laughs) All right, so Brian from Reaper, Reaper Brian from Denton, Texas, is a guest host on episode or adventure number 26. And um, that's right. So DM uh, David and DM Jackson kick off the beginnings of a dawn of a new era. (laughs) i was actually wanting to hear that discussion because they were going to talk about starting a new world and i think that's pretty that's pretty cool the new world yes but uh, man i'm I'm gonna i haven't had a chance to listen yet i'm going to just just for no better reason than i've got to listen as quickly as i can so i can call brian and and tell him you know just give him hell for how you know just mock him horribly for how he sounded on the podcast i'm sure he would appreciate that yeah i'm sure he would too Definitely. And in case, Gamer Nation, you missed our maniacal laughter and delusions of Frankensteinian goodness uh, last week, uh, the small but vicious podcast lives. <laughs> Uh, Old School and Shibuda have resurrected an all-new SBV podcast already coming at us with episode two, all about those enigmatic elves. Oh, that's no orc horn. <laughs> Thank you, Legolas. Yes. You you are like the anti-Legolas. You are the antithesis of Legolas. Everything I could possibly think of to describe Legolas in any form or fashion, you are not. For that matter, I am not. But but uh, you know, most notably being blonde and lithe and have, having pointy ears. Yes, except for being deadly accurate with a bow. Oh, are you now? I was. Don't you know, Dave, you could throw anything at him, and he's probably already done it. Taken a course. Probably... Got, gotten his teaching certification, yes. Yeah, <laughs> he probably has the equipment in his garage, and yeah. Right it's, next to the unicycle and the karate uniform. Yeah, <laughs> yeah pretty much. <sighs> pretty Love much. it. So, yeah, there you go. All right, and so um, with that, you notice what you won't hear is, again, anything from GM Brev. But let's move on. Oh, oh. again, look, now you're calling out some of our podcasts. Well, see, but that's, yeah. not, that's neg- nothing negative new. Negative reinforcement, right, Dave? That is nothing new for me. I am, uh, I am just an honorary, <laughs> I am an honorary bastard, and that's everybody knows that. Yeah, to be fair, GM Dave's been calling out uh, RFH for a very, very, very long time, and yeah. Brev for a very long time. Yeah, I've been. I, I mean, I don't, I don't, you know, Brev. All these guys are my friends, but I don't really hold, you know, pull punches. And old school is the only one I didn't know, and so I didn't tell him he was, you know, I just cut him off. <laughs> <laughs> all of a sudden, SBV was gone. What? Uh, what? But, but now, now he's back. But now he's and back. New and improved. Exciting. Yes. And you can find episodes of these podcasts, of course, at our website, www.d20radio.com. And uh, while you're there, you can find this wonderful huge button that says swag on it. What does swag mean? Stuff we all get. Yeah. But if you have to pay for it, does that really ring true? Yes, it does. Because we can all get it if we pay for it. And at the swag link, you can, of course, find uh, D20 Radio t-shirts where you can order and proclaim your membership in the Gamer Nation. And you can also find true, honest-to-goodness, free stuff we all get because that is also the location of the D20 Radio download section where you will find modules to play for this wonderful system. You can find uh, GM and player aids and all kinds of wonderful goodies that the Gamer Nation has cooked up and sent in for your using pleasure. That's right. Wahoo. Wahoo, wahoo. 
Swag. Yeah. <laughs> Semi wild ass guess. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Echo Base. Yeah. Oh, scientific. Sorry, Shibuta. So, oh. Mm. Scientific wild ass mm. guess. Yeah. I've a swag is, is always yeah. That's just what I've always we've call we call it that at our office. I don't know how many times. A semi wild ass guess. That's how we do business. That is. But you're going to want to get your swag because uh, if you're going to be attending, of course, the aforementioned upcoming Gen Con, mm. you would like to uh, proclaim your membership. We're less than, T minus less than one minute, one month out. I'm, one I'm, minute. <laughs> one minute. I'm, dude, I'm so stoked. Um, I, I, can't, I can't believe it. Uh, Gen Con is coming, Gamer Nation, August 12th to the 16th, Indianapolis, Indiana. And we're going to have quite a lot of people there from the Gamer Nation. And uh, if you would like to game with me personally, since myself and TG will be there, as well as Kat, um, uh, you will have plenty of opportunity. I will be GMing an official RPGA slot of Star Wars uh, Friday from 1 to 6 and Saturday from 1 to 6. And um, there will be a plethora of other just little private games for the D20 Radio cadre, which will be announced via the Twitter and uh, after Dave's uh, repeated just lashing about the head and face with Twittery goodness, I, I finally succumbed and, and, and got my own. Twitter yeah. Yeah. Up. Yeah. And, so uh, it's very, it's very, very, very sad. But if you're going to be at Gen Con and you would like to communicate with the rest of the Gamer Nation, find out when games are going to be played, when meetups are going to happen, the way to do that is through Twitter. You can follow me at GM Chris. So go to twitter.com slash gmchris and simply ask to be my friend and follow me and uh, it'll be hunky-dory. And if you guys have any questions, let's say you're, you're, oh man, I don't understand Twitter. It's all newfangled. I don't know. I don't know. I don't really have a cell phone I think it'll work with. Well, if your cell phone can get text messages, you can get twits, tweets, twat, Oh no. Oh no. Whatever they're called. I don't know. It's not my. See, and this is why we have someone to do this aside from me. If you are like me and you know very little about Twitter, uh, you should get to our forums at d20radio.com slash forum, and you just send a personal message to acetaminophen, a.k.a. GM Dom, but acetaminophen on our forums, who is our official uh, D20 Radio Twitter correspondent uh, coach, who has actually uh, <laughs> assembled a wonderful PDF uh, for your perusal, which will give you step-by-step instructions on how to set this up with your phone and everything else. Yep. It's marvelous. He's a Twitologist. All right. He's a th- <laughs> nice. Uh-uh. So guess what, man? In two days, guess what, man? Dude, I, oh, Watchmen comes done, out. Watchmen dude. comes out on DVD. Uh-huh. Yeah, I'm sure that's what you're most excited about. I don't buy it. I'm pretty excited about it. Mm, whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> whatever. The Rebellion Era campaign guide releases in two days, July 21st. It can be yours, but. Why haven't you gone to reserve it yet, huh? Hmm? Well, just get on up to your FLGS right now and do it. Do it. Friendly local gaming store. Or shop. Friend. That's right. That's why it's friendly. It's true. It's even better if, they're, if they have their own little doggy like ours does. That's right. But don't forget to take your flag. Your flag? Those rebellions, those, those rebels, they're damn cunning. They have their flag. FLGS flags. <laughs> and lastly, uh, we announced this last week, but I'm we're, but we're going to announce it again because it is it is that announceable. 
the Order 66 podcast has received a final nomination for an Any Award for Best Yippee! So, uh, Gamer Nation, again, it is time to mobilize. Uh, we need your help to win this thing. Voting begins on July 24th. July Friday. 24th. Friday. Friday, Friday. This Friday. Friday. And voting lasts for one week until August 1st. All right. You may vote at www.any-awards.com. That's www.enni-awards.com. And you can only vote once, and they check that with your IP address and stuff, so don't go trying to do any shenanigans. We don't want you to. Um, that would be very, very bad. And furthermore, though, we would like you to get everyone you can to vote. Uh, march yourselves to every corner of the intertubes, every forum, every blog, every post. Get us up there. Get the vote out. Tell your gaming group. Tell the FLGS. Get out the vote. We only got one week in which to do it, so do it. Yep. Do it. I'm going to get John McCain to mention it in his weekly blog. Oh, really? That yes. would be... That's, that's fantastic. I think you're judging the... by his, by his uh, performance in the last couple of you know, uh, national elections, that should be good for at least four votes. No. <laughs> Dang. So. We really want to have the podcast associated with John McCain. Is that really what you want to do, Dave? No, not really. <laughs> be, we are hilarious. we are we are firmly very much against positioning ourselves with any one political candidate, so. Okay. Yes, that being said. All right, did you get a postcard this week, dude? <laughs> I did, man. I um I, I got a postcard. It arrived, but it, it clearly came through quite a bit to to get to me. Um the edges are kind of scorched on it and the the paper it smells very faintly of of blaster fire and battle. And the picture is of a, a temperate world covered in low mountain ranges with a pair of very different moons that orbit it. And the wording on the postcard reads, The females of the provisional government welcome you to Deveron, visitor. We hope the peace and security we will provide you hasn't been tainted by our males. Hmm, we've been here before. From across the galaxy, it's time for postcards from Commander Cody. GM Dive and GM Chris. Hi, guys. Well, no rest for the weary, eh? My unit, the Delivery Boys, have been recalled to the interim colonies planet of Deveron. I've not been here before. Frankly, after knowing as many Deveronians as I have, I really had no desire to come. I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. But the Deveronian males are always a common sight at any spaceboard, seedy canteen, or space station dark red skin, sharp teeth, and pointed horns protruding from their heads. The vile and dishonest scoundrels took the part and sent chills up my spine. But you know, it had never occurred to me that, in all my travels, I'd never seen a female Deveronian. I've heard all kinds of rumors that the Deveronians don't mate at all, but they spawn from the fires of the underworld, and the Deveronians have two sets of teeth and seven livers. <laughs> They're hogwash. But arriving here on Deveron, I was surprised at what I found. The world itself is unremarkable, a temperate climate of low mountain ranges, valleys, rivers, but the government here is entirely made up of females. I've not yet encountered such a dichotomy in a single species between gender lines. Deveronian females are covered in soft fur, with no horns at all. They're stable, honest, and peaceful. Clearly, 
dominant over the males, who, from what I can tell, are pretty much kicked off world to support their families. The females in charge here consider them a nuisance and a threat to stability. It all makes so much sense now. Every Deberonian male I've met has been violent, vicious, and lascivious. Which is unfortunately why we're here. A recent rebel uprising on Deberon led the glorious Imperial government to order the execution of the rebels. The Deberonian army captain they found for the job was a vicious snot named Kardesoi Malak. He did his job, but apparently too well. The Deberonian government has placed a bounty on his head, ready to convict him of war crimes. The Deveronians don't exactly believe in rehabilitation here either, more like public execution, being torn apart by ravenous quarry beasts. Seriously. This fool needs covert transport off-world, and that's what we're here to give him. As for where to take him, I'm seriously considering a desert planet on the outer rim. <laughs> Listen guys, if you're in the mood for some commanding female company and you don't mind the fur, Deveron's the place for you. And if you're in the mood for getting cheated in a card game, or getting into a good bar fight, any spaceport should let you find a Deveronian male you're looking for. Later, guys. Long live the Empire! Your friend, Commander Cody. Uh-huh. Very nice. Very Interesting. Nice. Got into a bar fight once. Got, got thrown out of a bar. Wow, that sounds familiar. Uh, with yeah, with the Deveronian man back when I was like nineteen. Seriously, he was he was a punk man. The headbutt headbutting hurts. Ugh. Stitches <laughs> stitches time. Not fun. Saves nine. D20 docking bay hosers. When it don't be making sense, we be making sense of it. Yes, indeed, it's time for the D20 docking bay where we answer your <sighs> questions sent in by forum post, by email, by voicemail. Of course, we didn't get any voicemails this week. Oh. Uh. So. Buzz Lightyear wants to know, <laughs> can a character dual-wield grenades? That's, that's I think that buzz, was that's buzz, buzz X. Yeah, I know. Okay. Can a character dual-wield grenades? Um, sure. <laughs> Why not? Uh, remember, as a full round action, a character can fire or swing or throw a weapon in each hand, as long as he's got two, you know, one in each hand. Uh, you take a minus 10 penalty to each attack roll when you're doing so. Without the aid, of course, of dual of the dual weapon mastery feats, which reduce that penalty until it eventually no longer exists. So, if your character had a grenade in each hand, he could toss them both as a full round action. Just remember that pulling the grenades out would not be part of that. Right. So. Okay. Yeah. Next. Easy peasy. Rice and cheesy. Ick Moigigan. Ick. I'm sorry. What? Ick Moigigan. <laughs> Ick Moigigan. Okay. Ick Moigigan. I thought it was I see Moigigan. <laughs> All right, I see Morgan. Do you see Morgan? I don't. <laughs> I see him. I no longer see Morgan. Anyway, so he poisted. He he poisted. <laughs> okay, the Jet Jetum, the Jedi Academy training manual has a question from. Huh. So he says about using the masquerade talent from the Jedi Academy training manual. Colon. The talent states that you can use the illusion 
Talon, to disguise yourself as per the deceptive appearance application of the deception skill. And that all other res restrictions for using the illusion talent still apply. Does this take a standard action like the like other applications of illusion or the normal time based on the level of deception? It seems clear to me that the force point cost and time limit of illusion are still present, as are the physical interaction limitations. Am I correct in thinking this? I was making an illusion-oriented character and was looking at this talent, and it struck me as a raw deal if it requires a normal, deceptive appearance prep time. Well, I can understand your worry, sir. Um, so for, for those following along in their storybooks, um, the illusion talent is in two places. It is on page 52 of the KOTOR campaign guide, and it's reprinted again in the Jedi Academy training manual on page 14 for convenience. Um, and it is part of the altar talent tree. And basically what it does, illusion, is that as a, and I really like this, as a standard action, you can spend a force point to create an illusion. What type of illusion? Any type of illusion of any size. Um, your use the force check goes against the will defense of anyone viewing it to see if they believe it. And if they physically interact with it, if they try to touch it, they immediately know that it's an illusion. And, of course, it gets progressively harder to make bigger illusions. And, of course, the illusions only last for a little while, a number of minutes equal to your character level. Okay, so also in the Jedi Academy training manual, on page 15, is the Masquerade talent, which is a, a step up from illusion. Illusion's a prereq. So now you can use the illusion on yourself to create a personal disguise. You use so your you use the... Mm -hmm. You can't do that with illusion. You can't you can't put an illusion on yourself. No, it's putting illusion okay. out out there in the middle of somewhere, basically. I see. Um, so with with masquerade, you can put an illusion on yourself, basically using your use the force check in place of a deception check to create an, a, a deceptive appearance. Now, normally doing this via the deception skill takes a while. Okay, anywhere from one minute for a very very simple deception to up to two weeks for something outrageous. Okay, so how long does this take? Considering the fact that you spend a force point to still activate it, that, that's rather heavy. Um, uh, and, and it, it kind of, just consider that, because it, it kind of answers itself. Um, in the Masquerade Talent, the wording specifically is, all other rules and restrictions for using the Illusion Talent still apply. So Masquerade doesn't specify a time separate from the Illusion Talent's time. So again, following that statement, we return to the standard action that illusion requires. And again, so what? Okay, so standard action to pull off something that could maybe take a week or two with you know regular deception? Well, yeah, you're spending a force point. And furthermore, if somebody interacts with it, it's gone. You know, they, 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 you know, they can't, you know, uh, they, you can't maintain it. They'll know it's an illusion. You got that correct. And again, I, I don't see that as uh, anything too serious considering the fact that you're spending a rather finite resource. So what's the point of taking this? If it's going to take you a long amount of time, what's the point of taking this feat? What's but the it's, benefit that's what, of it? That's what I'm saying. It's not. It's only going to take you that standard action. Oh, so, okay. So it only takes a standard action to do even something complicated? Yes. Nice. See, now it's useful. Now it's, now it's useful. But it's expensive. That's how you can justify it. It costs you a force point to pull right. this off. You're not going to be doing this every, every single encounter. No. So. At least you shouldn't. Very, okay. very, very role-playing heavy. But, you know, I kind of like it. You know, it's a way to disguise yourself as a stormtrooper in the heat of battle or something like that. Or, you know, to, to sneak into a base. You know, I think that's pretty cool. As long as nobody shakes your hand, you'll be okay. <laughs> exactly. Do you think that would work if you're in the middle of battle and all of a sudden you, you create 
make yourself look like a stormtrooper? You well, think of, that- of course not. If you do it, if, if you stare at them and wave your hands, and all of a sudden you're a stormtrooper, they're probably not going to buy that. But if if mm. I if I go if I hide behind a crate and then I hey you know, Rocky make, make a, yeah I make a distraction to you know, faint and then hide. And then I come out from the other side of the crate as a stormtrooper. you know, maybe firing wildly behind me as I go. I mean, it's doable. I, I would, I, I don't I'd have a hard time allowing it in the heat of combat to, to allow it in the heat of combat. It would probably be the same requirements as a GM that I would make my PC do if they were trying to stealth in the heat of combat. Righto. Okay. Okay. So Vader son, Vader son. Yes. He brought up, he, okay. Sherman set your way back machine for episode number 72 fragments from the rim. We talked, they talked about advantageous attack working every round of combat. So Vaderson says, um, The fragments from the rim from episode 72 confused, me, confused a lot of folks and brought a bunch of brouhaha to the forums. And so Duncan wanted it discussed right here. Said, fragments from the rim confused me. Advantageous attacks works every round of combat? Question mark. I assume the has not acted in combat only applied at the start of battles. This would affect more than advantageous strike if I have interpreted it wrong. So anyway, the whole thing was, well, go ahead. Okay, okay. The, the, so w- w- what the heck is he talking about? Oh my god, I, don't, I have no idea what they were talking about in episode 72, and I don't have time to go back and listen to it right now. Okay, so Alex and Trevor, our, our wonderful hosts of Fragments from the Rim, talked about advantageous attack, which is on page 31 of the Force Unleashed campaign guide. Now, this is a really easy-to-get feat, and it states simply, you can add your full heroic level instead of half your level to your damage rolls against any foe that, quote-unquote, has not acted yet in combat. Period. Now, when Alex and Trev were talking about this coolness, they used the words, and I'm, I'm quoting verbatim here, this means that your first attack in every round is just going to be that much more effective. This is what people are going, whoa, whoa, every round? What are you talking about? Oh, my God. Okay, having listened to it again, honestly, Gamer Nation, I think this is a simple miswording from Trev. I think what he meant to say was your first attack in every encounter because that's kind of where this points to. Um, right. What is combat? Okay, clearly it, it's, it's the start of initiative, um, a combat encounter. Um, the wording of it doesn't match any other per-encounter abilities or, per, or per any other per-round abilities, and it's, it's the obvious intent here. So right. I, think, I think it was just a, a mislip of the tongue. And uh, Alex and Trev, if you're listening, hopefully we can uh, confirm that in a future cast, or perhaps on, on the intertubes. Just listen to what they mean, not what they say. So <laughs> this doesn't seem like a very powerful uh, feat, I sure um, as heck wouldn't take it because if I don't if I don't row well in initiative, then all of a sudden the feat's completely wasted. Well, that's one of the things actually that they talked about in Fragments from the Room. They said if you're going to do this, you're going to want to make sure you are rolling well in initiative. In other words, you're going to want to be skill focused in initiative. Right. You're going to want to have yeah. a high dex. You're going to want to be trained. You're going to want to make sure you're an initiative monkey. Yeah, basically. exactly. Uh, so that's good. So there, there, there you go. And you know, then there's there's characters builds that that do that. And if you if you're if you're built around acting first in combat, this is this is worthwhile to pick up. If <laughs> I guess. Oh, you guess. <laughs> oh, I guess. Wow, somebody's channeling Tammy Faye. Oh boy. <laughs> oh. Speaking of channeling <sighs> Tammy Faye, we're going to spend basically the entire rest of the show on the haw, the hob, the hob. Yes. The hall. He writes an interesting question about everyone's favorite tech 
fetishist, xenophobic, environmentally suited up race, the obese. Ah, the obese. Yes. Okay. So, long question, even longer answer, probably. So. Oh, I I pruned it. Listen up. That's the ratio. You should know this by now. Okay. So, I'm looking at building an obese PC for an upcoming game as a scout moving to Ace Pilot. But my plan hit a snag, mm, as all plans are wont to do. Dun, dun, dun. The obese environmental suit, which the character has to wear so as to not, well, you know, die, functions as a combat jumpsuit. A combat jumpsuit is light armor, something a level one scout is not proficient with. Now, I know I could start out as a soldier and not have to worry about it, and I'd still have access to pilot as a class skill, but then I'd lose Hyperdrive Savant, which is the first level talent I want to take. It seems somehow counterintuitive for a character to have to spend a feat to be proficient with a piece of equipment that the character will die without. (laughs) I know some might argue that having to spend a feat or take penalties while wearing the environmental suit is a game-balancing effect for recovering 2,000 credits worth of equipment for free at level 1. But I don't know. I still think that the whole take-it-off-and-you-die penalty is sufficient for game balance purposes on its own. What do you guys think? Oh dear. Um, first of all, TG, do you do you remember what what the UBs are? No, what are they? Okay, Return of the Jedi. Are they are they the, the re- ones in Mass Effect that are wearing the helmets and? No, this is Star Wars. Oh. Um, <laughs> in in Return of the Jedi, right at the very beginning, in Jabba the Hutt's palace, when they're going to rescue, uh, basically when remember when when Princess Leia was dressed up as that weird alien bounty hunter and she went in to go rescue Han Solo, frozen in carbonite. Ah, yeah. Yeah, th- that that was an Ubi's suit that she was wearing, basically. Yoto. Yoto, yeah. So, okay, this is a decent question, Hav. Um, bottom line, okay, yes. Okay, that's the answer. Um, the Ubi's, which are found on page 12 of Scum and Villainy, do have this special equipment requirement. It's very similar to the Keldor, okay, which require the breath masks. Um, because the Ubi's have to have special atmosphere or they suffocate. Um so for free, they get an environmental suit with breath mask and voice modulator and a year's supply of breathing filters for free at first level. The description notes that this environmental suit functions as a combat jumpsuit, but with a plus two equipment bonus to 42 defense. Now, combat jumpsuits are, are pretty nice. They're on page 132 of the core rulebook. And a combat jumpsuit is light armor with a plus four to reflex defense and no bonus to fortitude. So the obese version is actually better. And uh, a plus four to max, uh, max dex to reflex. So, okay. All right. There's two ways of looking at this, Hov. And we're going to start with the most obvious. Okay. This just happens to be the downside of playing an obese. Yep. You pretty much got to get a level in soldier. And not just for the proficiency, you're probably also going to want to pick up armored defense as well. Because, oh yeah, after fourth level, you'll have to use the armor bonus instead of your heroic level to reflex Why? defense. Why because is that? if you wear armor, you ha- like basically, you know you, you know you add your heroic level to all your defenses? Yes. Well, if you're wearing armor, you take the armor's bonus instead of your heroic level. Unless you have this specific talent called armored defense, which only the soldier has, a- has access to. I thought you always got a choice between whichever was higher. No, armored defense gives you the choice. Ah. 
Um, and then there's improved armor defense, which lets you take your heroic level and then half the armor bonus, and so you get better and better and better. So yada, yada, yada. Anyway, um, so crap. You, you told me a mandated feat and a mandated talent just to be effective? Is that nasty? Yeah, sure, I guess. But quite frankly, the UBs get some pretty uncommonly nasty combat abilities. I mean, they're a pretty cool race with some cool racial abilities. I mean, my personal favorite, I think it's called aggressive. If they charge a character... And you know when you charge, you get the plus two to hit, but you take a minus two to their reflex defense? Yeah. If they charge a character, after that round, they, they get their minus two for reflex goes away. They retain the plus two to attack against every attack they make against that character for the remainder of the encounter. Nice. That's and they cool. And can, they can do that against every foe. <laughs> okay? I mean, they're, they're pretty nasty. So, yeah, I, I think it's kind of balancing there, all right? Um, they represent a very violent, soldier-like race. Right? Now, some people have put this in the same category as primitive races, like Gamorians, Ewoks, etc., saying, you know, God, I'm playing a Gamorian or an Ewok. You pretty much have to devote a feat to a weapon proficiency in order to be effective in any way. Okay, okay I'm going to go out on a limb here, Hov, and bear with me. It's a very thin limb, and I'm a very big guy, so I'm going to walk out carefully. Okay. Be very careful. <clears throat> I want you to see if your GM will... Bend the rules. Da, da, da. Now, 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 what do I mean here, okay? Ubies don't need this suit to survive. They don't, not even according to their own description. Technically, they need a breath mask to survive. But because they're xenophobic weirdos, they wear this full suit so nobody can see what they look like, okay? As a GM, personally, I would have zero problems treating this as a simple Keldor breath mask if, if a player wanted to. You don't get the benefits of the combat jumpsuit, but you can have this breath mask. Literally replace this with the Keldor's ability, and that's pretty much it. But, but GMC, you say, I want to look like the traditional obese with the cool suit, like Lid, Return of the Jedi. Well, okay then, um, you do, huh? I, I don't. I don't think saying that your breath mask looks like an Ubi's helmet and your clothes look like the bottom of the suit is game breaking at all in any way, shape, form, or fashion. As long as you don't gain the mechanical benefits of the suit. There you go. That's that, that's kind of my my humble solution. I, I just going out on a limb there, Hov. Out yeah. on a limb. And I'm not sure who your GM is for the game, Hov. By the way, I had a chance to game with Hov. Uh, um, at Reaper, just uh, what? What last weekend? TJ, were we up there? No, uh, I thought it was two weekends. Two, ago. two weekends ago, yeah. Hoff, Hoff had his baby with him. Oh, um, maybe it was last weekend. Yeah. Um, so very, very cool. But you're you're a cool gamer, Hoff, and I imagine your GM is cool too. Present him with this idea; he'll probably go for it. Now, I think it makes sense that you have to take a feat in order to wear it because on their home world they don't have to, do they? No. So they if don't. they want it, so if they want to go off world then they need to be able they need to train themselves in how to deal with wearing the suits and um that they're going to need to survive off world or else they just stay on their own world this 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 go. this does have a small this this has a good amount of merit but it, it, then again we're not just talking about a feat we're talking about a feat and then again a talent to be effective so yeah. it's is it too much? I don't know. I, honestly, I, I'm in agreement with you, TG. I don't think it's too much considering the benefits the race gets and the benefit of the free equipment. So Cool. Okay, so now we have a little bit of a break where we're going to see the newest, the newest thing to replace Stormtrooper poetry. Maybe. We'll, well. We'll, we'll see how this goes.
tonight on Imperial Idol. I remember all my life Raining down as cold as ice Shadows of a man A face through a window Crying in the night As night goes into morning Just another day Happy people pass my way We look into the skies And see a memory I never realized How powerful you could be, oh Mandos Well, you came and took over our planet In only one day, oh Mandos And you trained us and stopped us from breaking So we joined you today, oh Mandos I had a late night <laughs> not feeling great and you've just made me feel a lot worse. I mean, it was like, whoa! You know, your mouth is doing weird, weird things. It sounds <laughs> like you're eating when you sing. Can we show you what it sounds like? It was even worse than that. Simon, yes or no? No. Randy, yes or no? No, dog, not ready, man. You almost may be tone deaf, I don't know. Sure. Paula, what are you saying? I'm going to have to pass it. Right, it's a no. <laughs> oh my gosh, that is oh. hilarious. Old school. I say it's in. <laughs> old, old school, when I meet you, because it will happen, I'll, I'll come to Glasgow and meet you. I will hug you and then slap you across the face. <laughs> Why? Because that was, that was wonderful and, and, and yet awful at the same time. That was, <laughs> that was fantastic. <laughs> Indeed. Thank you very much, William, from Glasgow. Yeah. And now it's time for this. When good games Whoops. go bad. Not that. Drink. No, this is what? Third week in a row? Third week in a row wow. we have a good games? No. What the heck? Request a motion to suspend the rules. You are gonna suspend the rules? Shut up, Shut up. Motion granted. So. <sighs> redemption, eh? Redemption, redemption. For those of you who aren't familiar with our suspending the rules segment, this is, of course, our uh, usually bi-weekly, sometimes longer segment, where we delve into house rules presented by you or ourselves and, uh, expound on the glory therein so let's let's talk redemption guys sweet sweet redemption um <laughs> there's there's been a whole bunch of house rules posted up and some advice requested regarding the redemption destiny and um recently um ik 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 i i see i see moigigan <laughs> i see moigigan yes um posted up a house rule regarding the redemption destiny and gm brev had a darn near existential crisis regarding redemption um, having yep. had a uh, having had a player, namely TG, who completed the destiny, and uh, Brev was totally unsatisfied with the reward for it. Um, so there are several different options for people to house rule this, you know, and, and change the reward. N normally, when you complete 
the redemption destiny, what happens is the character you've redeemed, oh, their dark side score is reduced to one, they're no longer a bad person, and they lose all their force points. And all the force points they lose, you gain. And they're yours now. And that is the completion bonus. The problem is they're just force points. So if you level, they go away. <laughs> yep. They're just bonus force points to be used during that level after you've gained them. Exactly. And every other... Every other Destiny completion bonus is a permanent bonus to your character in some form or fashion. And this is obviously a finite bonus. So there's been a lot of grumbling about it, especially considering how iconic the Destiny is for the Star Wars universe. So there's several ideas we can we can proposit here. And, and, and Dave, um, why don't you hit us off with, with uh, the one that Ikmoigigan initially presented? Um, okay, so adding more force points per level every time you level. That we're talking about? Yep, ranging from yep. anywhere from three to six force points extra every time you level. I think six is a bit much. I I agree. I, I thought it was a bit much, and, and the rationale that was posted was, oh, dude, it's a destiny. You know, you might complete one during your career, maybe two. So it's it's that big a deal. Um, and and it could, be, could explain why Luke Skywalker was that bad arse of a force user. Um, and I still think it's too much. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, I mean, with three, you're basically giving them the benefits of a free feat for Spoon. Um, yeah. So. I'm, I'm, I'm good with that. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm good with that, too. I think, I think that's fair and reasonable. Um, extra three force points a level, maybe four. TG, thoughts? Yeah. I think three seems, seems appropriate. It was something that uh, Brev, GM Brev had considered for for a while among the like 20 of the ones that he listed in an email to me. <laughs> I know. I will, well, hit us up with some of the other ones. What was, what was the next one that he did that, uh, that a lot of people consider, including him. So the, the other one that we wound up kind of going with was creating a force point pool. This so is interesting. this was all of the extra ones you gained. So like the person you redeemed had six force points. They go into a community pool, so all of your allies wind up having access to that particular pool. Um, and the one caveat of that is it the force point you use from the force point pool could not be one that would um, save you from dying. Yeah, so basically when you spend a force point, you can choose to use one of your own or to use one from the pool. Right. And the then we came into the problem, well, okay, so it's in the force point pool. Well, then that still screws, you know, the person who received it over because once the for, the pool is gone, then it's gone. So what? It's redeems every level. So when everybody and, you know, your allies, all of y'all level up at the same time usually. So when everybody levels up or maybe just when the character who created the force pool levels up, then that force pool is refreshed um but then we're then the question was how how much does it refresh each time does it go up each level and how does that work so then we came down to it okay it starts off with the extra force points and every player gets the opportunity to add some of their force points to the force point pool when they level in order to keep the force point pool replenished I thought it was pretty cool. And with, with Brev's game in particular, all the PCs have this sort of entwined destiny in the story that they're all force-sensitive 
uh, as part of the plot, and they were not when the game began. So the, the that that makes a lot of sense. But one of the things I really liked that he did with that was that there's a character in our party, uh, Tenny's character, that's actually flirting very heavily with the dark side. And uh, one of the caveats Brev said is if you wanted to pull from the force pool, your dark side score had to be equal to or less than um, the, the character who, who completed the redemption destiny. In other words, that's your, your right. So basically for being a naughty boy, uh, Tenny's character is actually not able to draw from the pool, which is very, very interesting. So I think that adds to a good way of balancing using the dark side points because it i still think it's sometimes too easy so cool some ideas uh, there's lots of them out there for redemption a lot of people proposited the simple idea of just allowing the uh, earned force points to carry over between levels which is not a bad idea in and of itself right yep. okay so it's time to take a break for fragments from the rim alex and trevor and we will see you guys in about three minutes on the other side Welcome, Jedi Masters, to Fragments from the Rim. How may we be of service to you today? Hi, this is Alex. And Trevor. This is segment number 22 of Fragments from the Rim. For this segment, I've chosen to look at things a little bit differently. GMs, are you constantly faced with your PCs, noble characters, and scoundrel characters using their persuasion and deception checks to destroy your encounters, constantly forcing your NPCs to flee or just become their friends? Well, we've got a feat for you. Turn to page 32 of the Clone Wars Campaign Guide and read the Unwavering Resolve feat. Its benefit, you gain a plus 5 insight bonus to will defense against deception and persuasion checks. You do have to be trained in perception, but for those characters that you really don't want to get defeated by those simple skill checks that those nobles and scoundrels can be awfully good at, this is a useful feat. Over to you, Trevor. Today, I'm going to talk to you about two feats. The Angled Throw feat, which is found on page 32 of the Force Unleashed campaign guide, and the Mighty Throw feat, which is found on the next page, page number 33 of the same book. The Angled Throw feat has a prerequisite of dexterity of 13, and its benefit is whenever you throw a grenade or grenade-like weapon, you can attempt to bounce it off of a wall or other surface close to your target. If your attack roll exceeds a reflex defense of 15, you ignore cover and improve cover, not total cover, for your attack. So that basically means that the feat that I talked about in the last game, uh, advantageous cover uh, could be negated if you had the ability of this feat. If you couple that with Mighty Throw, which has the benefit of you add your strength bonus to your range attack bonus when using throwed weapons, including grenades and grenade-like weapons, and you can increase the length of each range category by a number of squares equal to your strength modifier. And that is huge, because that means that a grenadier who has like a whole bandolier of grenades could be tossing them into people that are hiding in or around cover, and if that person is even out of typical grenade range, they're not because this person has been prepared. So if you're playing a character who's really big into using grenades, especially a soldier because you need the strength and high dexterity as well, you would seriously consider using these two feats together because that would definitely take away a lot of the advantages of distance or, or uh, cover that people think that they could protect them from grenades. Anyways, if you have any questions or comments, please uh, send Alex or I an email at order66 underscore fragments at rogers.com. And until next time, have fun gaming. Thank you, Masters, for visiting Fragments from the Rim. Wondermas. Beautimus. But of course. 
So, uh, deep thoughts for such a shallow mind. It must be time for the meat. <laughs> the crunch. I, I like it to meet. I like it to meet a lot. Um, so what, what are we, what we were tossing around ideas to call this particular segment. And uh, I really, I really like the idea that the, a, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. That's so creative of you. Wow. I, oh, yeah. I'm, let, let me tell you. So I, ba- yeah. uh, basically, Gamer Nation, I, I've gotten a small number of requests in the past couple of months from new and old listeners with, with very specific requests for us. Now, these listeners all find themselves in the same predicament. They find themselves GMing their very first game of Star Wars Saga Edition. Or perhaps GMing their very first game, period, as in due to role-playing. Now, I got an email from a listener who preferred to remain nameless, and I will respect that wish, and he writes this. Well, Dave, tell me. Tell me what he writes. Okay, so he writes. Okay, I've listened to the podcast for nearly a year. And I'm sad to say that I've got all the books, I post regularly on the forums, and I get involved in debate, advice, and enjoy being a part. I've... He's sad? What? He says, I'm sad to say. Keep, keep, keep going. Okay. Wait for it. What? <laughs> keep reading. Don't worry about it. Ah, sorry. I have no idea what the hell just happened. I, I have a feeling, though, that we're going to lose now. <laughs> Okay, I had never played Saga Edition until about two weeks ago. I just never got the chance, so I played some 3rd Edition a few years ago, but my schedule just doesn't let me roleplay for years now. I still love discussing it, planning for it, and I imagine there are many others that are in my boat. So, now I'm faced with a problem. I ran my first session and it didn't go the way that I'd like. It was way too flat, and I had a hard time creating any kind of moving story. So when it comes to the mechanics and the encounter design, I've got it down to mathematical science and has mem- have memorized the list. I've created a game holocron of set pieces. I would really like some advice on how to weave it together and build a compelling story. Thanks, guys. Well... Now, now, TG, you can see why he is sad. <laughs> I see now. You see now. Um, this is a rather heartfelt request, um, and from a rather uh, prolific poster on our own forums. And uh, not the first of its kind that I've gotten. Um, just this past week, one of our longtime listeners, Scarecrow, on the forums, posted up a frustrated request as to how to build a more engaging story. He told us that also his players just went through the motions. Things were as dull as dishwater. So... How can you tie together the encounter advice we've given you in places like episode 37 and the set piece advices we've given you to create a good game? Because it, it's, it's more than play by the numbers. It's more than a mathematical science, ensuring you've got the right elements. All right? What will separate your game from any other game of minis Okay, is why people are there to role play, to take part in a good story. Some GMs and players take for granted that not every GM is a Tolkien, uh, to harken back to one of our recent episodes on player GM archetypes. So 
that's what we're going to talk about. Here, here's what we're not going to talk about tonight. We're not going to lay out story ideas for your campaigns. We are not going to tell you what to do, what to write. You'll be in the same predicament if we do that. What right. we are going to tell you to do, uh, what we are going to help do is, is help you out by giving you the tools that can help you draw together a good story. So with Indeed. that, this is going to be a very, a very heavy roundtable discussion, guys. So please feel free to, to pop in wherever. Um, and and let's, let's, let's kick this pig with what I consider to be perhaps one of the, the best ways to create an engaging story, regardless of what the plot is, um, character motivation. Um, so assuming that your, your characters are actually there to role play and they, they've gone through the trouble of, of creating characters for your game, um, then I, in my experience, few things will get those players more personally committed to the story than a story that affects their characters on a character-specific level. Does this make sense? Yes. Perfect so, sense. Yeah, I mean, initially, the, the way I engender this, I know, in, in my own games, is through a method I call the questions three. Um, I, I have every player character that is in my games uh, for a, a serious game um, I, I basically have them answer these three questions. First and foremost, tell me about your character. What does your character unconditionally love? And the bottom line is, you know, I, I don't want something crappy like, you know, uh, he loves the heat of battle and the smell of blaster fire. No, no, I'm talking, I, I, w I want a person. I want a village, a planet, a ship, um, uh, uh, you know, even even the nastiest, most despicable, diehard Sith Lord has someone they care about somewhere in their deepest heart of hearts. Um, you know, at least for the purposes of a PC. Um, you know, maybe they have a soft spot for kittens. Maybe they uh, love uh, Mandalorians because they were you know rescued as an orphan from you know marauders and Mandos saved their life or something like that. Second question: What does your character unconditionally hate? Even the most virtuous of Jedi um, has something they're prejudiced against or something they would go out of their way to harm or kill on sight. What is that? Maybe you're prejudiced against Twi'leks because of an experience you had when you were a child. Maybe you have an arch nemesis. Okay, define that. And then lastly, and most importantly, why are you here? In other words, why are you willing to work for the Republic slash Empire slash Galactic Alliance slash Rebellion slash whatever organization that the PCs are all participating in together as a way to get them all to work together. And with those questions, usually give the GM enough fodder to build those good hooks into the campaign. Now, so it's, no, it's no good to ask those questions the GM from the GM if the GM isn't going to use that information to write his story. Right. I mean, that's fine and dandy if the GM knows what my character loves, but if that winds up not coming up in play. Like, uh, Kat created a character who hated kidnappers. Mm -hmm. And so we had one battle, major battle, where somebody had kidnapped some a, a person we were trying to get. And that just fueled her character. She really dug that encounter, that particular uh, game, because of it and got really into it. Dave, what what kind of uh, personal character experiences can you have regarding the three questions affecting how your character is played? <laughs> personal ones? <laughs> well, I remember one specific incident that caused a uh, a 
a what was it a droid malfunction in the party? Uh, yeah, something like that. I would call it a character malfunction. Absolutely. <laughs> well, no, dude. I mean, seriously, what 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 for you gets gets the character motivation in play? How do you you know how, how do you like to see that in play when you're when you're gaming? Uh, I mean, you said it. That's it. Just give me an opportunity to have my character's backstory come in. I'm, I would call myself a little bit more advanced role player than the starter person, but I'm not like you guys. But um, you know, if you if you frame it in the context of my character loves this, my char- my my character loves X, my character hates Y, and you put Y out there, my character immediately charges and kills it. So <laughs> that's kind of cool, you know, from a character perspective. Now. You know, from this incident in particular, you know, when when our party had been warned a couple of different times, you know, Wookiee hates droids, Wookiee hates droids, and they still go ahead and put a grenade in the hand of a droid, you know. <laughs> I mean, seriously. That's just what oh, happens. <laughs> I hear I hear I hear bitter resentment. Are you are are you gonna are you gonna claws eyes out, TJ? I am not going to get into this conversation right now mm-hmm. <laughs> because I'd like for our podcast to win in the innies. And if I did get into this conversation, it probably wouldn't be very good. <laughs> or, or to the contrary, I think it would be it would be epic. Zing bang! And those of you who are longtime listeners have probably heard the epic story where uh, TG's character had a, uh, 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 protocol, a protocol droid. droid. And um, GM's Dave, what is what is he unconditionally hate? Battle droids. He came out of the Clone Wars hating battle droids. And um, so at the sight of a droid with a weapon, he would fly into a rage, immediately wiki rage, and, and destroy it. And so the, the PCs are fighting a bunch of really nasty things. And uh, just to, to give him something to do, um, TG's character gives her protocol droid a stun grenade and says, hurl this. <laughs> and of course, at the sight of a... Uh, a grenade in the droid's hand. The Wookiee goes berserk and cleaves him in twain in the middle of the combat, um, which I thought was very interesting. It yes. was well played. It was very, very good character. It, it, it was, it was character role playing. But yeah. I mean, we damn near had a fist fight in the middle of the house because personalities <laughs> got involved. See, you, yes. you, you took personal offense, which you just can't do in a role playing game, and you know. That's that's where that's where the group almost melted down in like our second get together. Oh, I don't think it was that bad. Uh, um, well, you weren't there apparently. <laughs> okay, I I disagree with you completely, Dave. I had a hundred percent respect for the fact that you role played your character out. I was a little peeved that a character that I had put so much into did get destroyed. But hell, I'm a noble with wealth. I could just buy another one. No big freaking deal. What I was really upset about that encounter was not that particular situation. It was the situation that came immediately after where I had GM Ah. railroading. That's what got me pissed during that encounter. That is is absolutely correct. And we're going to come to that later on when we talk about using your story to rein in. So we're going to come back to this. Mm. Okay. So... Here's here's where I want to take what what really what I, I guess the takeaway from this little, this discussion is is that you both got everyone got personally involved in it somehow um, and and the idea is that that involvement has kept it from being a dishwater lukewarm game you know what I'm saying yeah so there you go. 
Um, excellent. So, so contrary to what Dave was saying then, the fact that I might have taken it a tad bit personally might have made the game better. Ooh. Ooh. I like that. Okay, anyway, so let's let's carry on. Carry on. <laughs> and they're talking about the they're, they're they're talking about the subsequent events. The the gamer nation knows exactly what happened with the whole rat ghoul thing. Yes, and we we will we will come to that shortly. Okay. So so okay. So that's character motivation, and when used properly, it can get people personally involved, and that can help kind of you know guide the story in the right sense in terms of simply getting your characters, your players, to give a crap about it. And that is an excellent excellent choice to do. But let's, let's talk about building your story in terms of events as well. So, okay, great. Well, we have a way to you know, have some hooks to hang some plot on. What about the plot? Where do we get that from? Um, unlike any other in- intellectual or academic endeavor ever, I would say that uh, the following statement is okay when you're role-playing. Plagiarism is your friend. And I'm, I'm going to say that again. Plagiarism is your friend. Um, the beautiful thing about running a game is that your story doesn't need to have a single ounce of originality in it. And that's okay. And it can still be fun and awesome. I mean, heck, we're playing Star Wars here, all right? The table has already been set. We just got to sit down and eat. So where can you borrow some great ideas to motivate you that you can flat out take plot from for your stories because this is one of the best ways to do it um let's start off with story ideas in print my advice to you is to read read a lot okay furthermore the cheesier it is the better it is and the more straightforward it is the better it is let me tell you what sucks for a role-playing game plot complex plot lines innuendo Deep analytical metaphysics of the human psyche. Okay, these make for very fun reads for intelligent intellectual people, but 99% of the time, they are lost on a role-playing group. It doesn't translate well. Keep it straightforward. Go with the occasional twist, but keep it straightforward. It's very true. I mean... Do you, guys, do, you, do you guys see what I'm saying there? I mean, when do, you, when do you get bored most often, or do you want it to be a Jerry Bruckheimer movie? You know? I, yeah. Uh. <laughs> crickets. <laughs> crickets. Yeah. If I had crickets there, I would have played them. <laughs> Speaking of, well, well, what are your thoughts, man? I mean, uh, how 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 complex is too complex for a storyline? I mean, I've read I've read posts of guys that that write these stories are these interconnected subplots and twenty eight pages of deep, you know. NPC dialogue that no one will ever read, you know, and, and, you know, well, he did this because his uncle was so-and-so's girlfriend who was a Twi'lek hater from back in the day. And I mean, just my Pete's sake. When you, when you look at the films, does it not seem that the, <laughs> there's nothing terribly complex about the storylines involved? Ah, oh, but there is. Uh, ah, expound, please. I mean, there are, I'm talking about basic foreshadowing, Yes, and, but it's pretty it's pretty transparent foreshadowing. Yeah, in some I th- I think in some cases it's a little bit too transparent. I I think it's a I think it's dumbed down to a great degree, you know, for a 12-year-old or 12-year-old mentality. I I prefer a little bit more complexity in my campaigns. 
or you know I'd like to play with more complexity. Yeah. If I had to like take notes, I think that would be maybe too complex <laughs> because I'm not there to study. You know, I'm not there to have to keep track of all this stuff. But you know, I I do like the twist that you know if uh, if you find something in a locker or whatever, whatever, whatever. If you take the time to go look in a locker, then you might find something cool. And if you take the time to remember something that happened that could potentially influence the game later, that would be cool too. But I'm not talking about anything, you know, you must remember that in the first encounter there was a number 28.7 written on a wall that you didn't see. No, you know, forget that. Metal, Metal Gear Solid, the role-playing game, this is not. Um, <laughs> right. Basically. So, so. There, there's that. So basically when you're taking story ideas in print and you're, you're building it out, simple plot lines, nothing complex. Next thing, to keep in line with that ease philosophy to keep, as, as Dave so intelligently alluded, to keep you from having to take notes, interconnected NPCs and plots. Keep things connected. You know what? If you go a few weeks without playing, see what your players forget. Okay? I promise you. See what they forget. So try and do whatever you can to connect NPCs and plots to story to story and multiple events. You know, don't have a new NPC contact every single time. Keep it the same individual. Have all the plots sort of seamlessly sort of come together. Does, does, does this make sense? It's one of those things that it, it creates a storyline and characters that you're familiar with. And the analogy I like to give is it's not like each game is a separate movie. It's like each game is a separate television show. And when you look at a television show, when you watch it, when you sit down every week and watch it, you can expect the same things. You're going to see the same characters. You're going to see the same NPCs. You're going to see the same generic plots. These are things you can expect. And those people are going to be wearing the same outfits, and they're going to be talking the same way. It's familiar. And it's something you don't have to think really hard about what happened last time. Because if you do, <laughs> you'll, for, you'll forget. Or at least I will. I yeah. always uh, me Always. too. I'm terrible with memory like that. Yeah. So, there you go. Um, a piece of recommended reading. If you're a fan of uh, of ancient literature, um, go pick up uh, by the the good Chaucer, the Canterbury Tales. A brilliant example of interconnected NPCs and plots that are woven together seamlessly and in small ways, but you know exactly what's going on all throughout. Also, some wonderful plot ideas in there as well. Hmm. There you go. Never read it. <laughs> excellent, excellent. It is, it is. Um, so when we read this stuff, there's some common themes, guys, that, that kind of come back to us. I think, I don't know, I think, I think Uncle George was nothing if he wasn't a storyteller. Not my and uncle. <laughs> the, the uncle in the, in the, you know, like Uncle Sam kind of sense, you know. Yeah, pointing uncle. at you and could draft you into duty. Pre- precisely. So... Uncle George was was a storyteller himself, and he was infatuated with other stories and other storytellers, and you can see that in his work. And as such, he was a student of myth, common themes, and hero stories with elements that repeat themselves again and again and again in all cultures across history. And they really seem to resonate with the human subconscious. And these are things that you're going to want to include in your story. What What elements, guys, do you think fall into this category that we can see not only in Star Wars, but in, in the great stories that, that you know, are, are passed down from generation to generation that we see again and again. Oh, and again. oh, oh, oh. Hmm? Good versus bad. 
<laughs> well, we, we we laugh, but the conflict between dark and light is very very interesting. Um, on that note, super Star Wars geeks like to talk about you know no my guy's a Gen Sarai. he's not a Jedi he's a gray Jedi he walks the line between dark and light and yada yada yada. I know wash. the EU, the EU has done some nifty things with that, but when we look at the hardcore story in terms of, of what it presents and the traditional archetype, it is dark versus light. Yep. And and it may be beneficial for you to present that to your player, where the person who walks the middle is the extreme exception, um, rather than the commonality. Right. TG, what other what, what common themes can you think that, you know, present themselves again and again that are excellent to include in, in a story? Um, family conflict that seems to be apparent in Almost any story that's a really good one out there. I would agree. Um, it's, it certainly is in Star Wars. And if you have those plot hooks that come back from your questions three with your players and you have a, a family member who is perhaps a loved one or a hated one, placing that person as an antagonist or as a, a person in danger can add a lot of personal connection and commitment to that story. And it can, it can come back again and again. What do, you guys think, what do you guys think of having PCs in the party that are related to each other? Oh, I don't I don't find it I don't find it distracting or anything. I think it's fine. Yeah, we we do it just fine. Brev and my PC and our alt universe campaign are related. Yeah. And that's kind of fun. Actually, it's really fun. Yeah, it is kind of cool. Yeah, it really is actually. I'd almost prefer having a pair somewhere in there. Ooh, hey, look, speaking of Canterbury Tales. <laughs> <laughs> what? Nothing. <laughs> but um Oh, so uh, another thing that I I see um, again and again and again, and this really comes back to the, not only the heart of what is really role playing, but what is the heart of heroic role playing, is divine abilities or supernatural abilities or or a purpose that is to be found in a mere mortal being. You know, the idea, you know, Anakin, he is the chosen one. Um, you know, the the hero myths that come back again and again, you have an exceptional individual. In a role-playing game, your PCs are the exceptional individuals. And when you're crafting a story, some of the more interesting stories I've ever been had the pleasure of taking a part in um, is when the PCs have this special role to play. Something something has set them apart, and they're terribly right. unusual. Like, like, TG, think about Brev's current KOTOR game, where we're all these galactic outcasts. We all just woke up with force sensitivity. What happened? We don't know. Oh, my gosh. You know, it, it puts you at the forefront. Um, That's right. I, I really, I really like that. It makes you special. And, that, again, that drives character interest look at look at y'all's alternate universe campaign right now okay there's jedi masters that are running around yet you guys are sent to go do the all-important stuff <laughs> because we're under the radar yeah but, well th that that's the story element that justifies it right because you're under the radar because you have to rescue this person and, oh he happens to know who you are and we want you to trust him because 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 finding a reason the wonderful to, things he does he does he does he does uh, because of the wonderful things he does. Um, finding a reason to put your player characters in the spotlight and make them the most powerful people and most important people in the galaxy. That should be, at, at a, I think, at a, at a core common theme that should should be written into your story at all costs. Good. So, Anything else you guys can think of? Common themes? Yeah. No. It, anything, if you pull... I do what Uncle George did and pull from mythology. 
you know, mm. any of those themes that you find in common myths or, uh, you know, hero stories. That's go go out and search for some Joseph Campbell. Um, two titles in particular, I think, should be on the bookshelf of any GM interested in a serious and well-done story for their game. The first book is The Power of Myth. The second is The Hero with a Thousand Faces. Um, Joseph Campbell, excellent titles that really delve into those core themes that really seem to resonate with every culture, every human being, and can make that story that much more interesting. Awesome. Of course, we could always just, you know, turn to the movies, right? Boom. That's kind of where I was heading next. There's the flicks. Um, So, okay, so you don't read. (laughs) But you've watched more TV and movies than normal for a human being. So, brilliant. Um... I think I think cinema, and I, I know Brev would agree with me, screaming and jumping and pointing his fingers if he were on. Uh, I think cinema is today's amphitheater, and, and the poets yeah. and the storytellers of today they seem to paint their struggles and their stories on the silver screen instead of on the stage or on the scroll. Yep. And um, I mean, hell, we're we're probably all playing Star Wars here because we're infatuated with that particular cinematic vision, anyhow. So so don't ignore cinema. That's right. Or don't do a podcast that ignores your podcast listeners <laughs> about cinema. Are we are we calling out cinematic attic? Ooh. We have been. Snap. Yeah, that's right. You know, giant kick to the crash for cinematic attic. That's right. See, and I, you know, I need to I need a space to put um, the small but vicious back on. So I think I'm going to use that space on the front page. Ooh. Oh well. And in their defense, I saw that he had posted this week that they've got plans to have one coming up soon. When is what is soon? Christmas? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> coming oh, soon. Dear. The Christmas well, edition. If you, if you guys would like to engender some good film discussion, of course, the Cinematic Addict, our film podcast, is uh, is there to do it. But I, I know Brev and I have had countless conversations talking about films as inspiration, man. I think... I'm a huge fan of classic cinema. Um, I think I think Brev and I happen to share that. And TG, I know I know you didn't watch. I haven't watched a whole lot of classic films, but I know we've been watching more and more together. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I think Falcon was fantastic. I know she watched that and she was like, "I gotta watch that again." Yeah. Um, so I don't don't limit yourself to films that are modern. It might be neat to just go grab the Matrix and and run with it. But I think there's a lot to be had in films of yesteryear. Um, I mean, hell, my, my last module at ReaperCon, The Secret of the Corellian Kitehawk, <laughs> had elements of the Maltese Falcon, Casablanca, and the African Queen in it, all right? And it, unabashedly. And, and, my, and, and I had a couple players that were like, dude, this is great. <laughs> um, foreign cinema, okay? Kurosawa, mm. John Woo, amazing stories. Um, and lastly, my, my other film recommendation, uh, a fistful of plot ideas, man. Don't overlook the glory of the Western. Dude. West, Westerns, man. Good grief. Joss Whedon didn't overlook the glory of the Western, and look what he did. He made Firefly. <laughs> um, Firefly. So, yeah, I mean, dude, uh, you know, fistful of dollars, you know, for a few dollars more, a couple of my favorites, some of the great, you know, good old spaghetti Westerns are just, just absolutely fantastic. Uh, Outlaw Josie Wales, another huge, huge favorite of mine. Um, I don't know what kind of film suggestions can you guys come up with. I mean, what 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 inspires you in terms of, of iconic stories that you think translate well into RPGs? Tombstone, boom, boom. God, the storylines, <laughs> simple storylines, but they're great. They're fantastic, character driven. Yeah, 
Can you? I mean, you could take that film and translate it directly into a story. You know, just you know, the, the PCs are coming in and they're having to, you know, immediately defend a planet from a group of marauding pirates or Mandalorians or something to that effect. Okay, I mean, it's just it's it's fantastic. What other what other film suggestions that we can really hit you guys as good good uh, uh, role playing fodder? I'm having a hard time grasping, but that's probably because I'm not a GM. Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> Pirates well, of the Caribbean would be a good one. Ah, a whole bunch of scoundrels. See, now that's the thing. I, I think, and, and earlier in the podcast, you, you two were like, no, no, we don't see that. For me, so much of Star Wars is the idea of, of the open seas of space. Um, Han Solo, Millennium Falcon, as as a are basically privateers, privateers, pirates, and ship captains. I think Pirates of the Caribbean is brilliant. Translate that into a Star Wars film. I mean, look at something like Davy Jones. You know, well, okay, what what do I translate that as? Oh, that's a, that's a Sith abomination right there, a dark lord with all his nasty, weird cronies. And oh wow, there's this ancient artifact they have to go find. And it, yeah. it's just it's just great. It, the easy one is to simply turn to the other star, Star Trek. Makes you a great RPG. Ah, yes, yes, TG. How come? How come? You see, why? Why that should have popped to your mind immediately? Yeah. Well, oh. that's because in my mind, Star Trek is just totally different from Star Wars. In fact, so much different that it's its own completely different um, <laughs> game. You Mental play, silos. You play Star Trek. You don't play Star Trek in Star Wars. It's, yeah, it's just <laughs> how I work. Well, no, I agree with Dave. I think I think the Next Generation specifically and um, and 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 Deep Space Nine had some phenomenal phenomenal plot ideas. You could take the last two seasons of DS Nine and translate it into one of the best Clone Wars campaigns ever. Um, absolutely phenomenal. But there is one thing I do want to stress here. As we talk about cinema, and this goes hand-in-hand hand with literature, talking about obtuse plots and stuff, the dumber, the better. Oh, Lord, I know where you're going. This is, this is right, okay? Don't say it. What are some of your greatest resources for game stories? Don't say it. I'm a big sigh. Don't say Two it. names. Two names. Michael Bay oh. and Jerry Bruckheimer. Oh, dude, I'm I'm dead serious. Simple plots, one-dimensional characters. Megan Fox. Oh, Megan. <laughs> sorry, what? What? Megan Fox. Seriously, a readily identifiable threat. Okay, the, the basic, no nonsense, no frills. There's no thought involved in these stories, and you want this in your RPG. Your players will generally thank you for that kind of stuff. Simple plots, one-dimensional characters. All right. Now, if there is a secret twist in your game. Just like a Bruckheimer film, it should generally be so obvious and transparent that they know it's there, but they'll enjoy figuring it out anyway. Yeah, um, yeah, it'd be kind of cool. And so I, I, I really like that. I think, I think the for Matrix. heroic role playing, yes, dude. I think for heroic role playing, um, Bruckheimer and Bay have a lot to teach us, and you, that's about the only time you'll ever hear me say that. Um, oh my! So there we go. <laughs> I know. Yeah, um, all right. Now, the, the other thing that I think Bay and Bruckheimer had to teach us is their films are filled with stereotypical characters that are, are, make you cringe. They're so awfully acted and stereotypically stereotypes. <laughs> but those are the best when you're role-playing for NPCs. Exactly. They, they really are. Whenever we've, we've oh, had... Yeah. 
I don't know. You and Brev both do a really good job of pulling PCs and mimicking them after um, characters or actors out there. And it adds so much, and it's a lot of fun. Yeah. I mean, listen, to, to make a PC, NPC memorable, that's what you got to do. One of the most memorable sessions of a story or a game is, is, the, is the, the NPC that was done really well. And I think Hollywood has provided us with millions of character portrayals that we can choose from, complete with emotional baggage, ticks, and quirks. And I'm at the point now when I'm fleshing out a game, I don't – I, I like to give my NPCs quirks and personality traits. I don't write down that kind of crap. I just write down the name of a character in a film, like um, Nathan Lane in The Birdcage. <laughs> I, I know exactly what that is. All right, and I guarantee you, my players will remember it. Um, Professor Hubert J. Farnsworth, you know, good Who's news, that? everyone. Uh, you know, from from uh, yeah. from uh, from Futurama, the professor. R- yeah, ah, Russell ah. Russell Crowe in uh, well anything. <laughs> Speaking of one dimensional, husband uh, to a murdered wife, father to a murdered son. Yeah, there you I go. Brock Sampson for fans of the Venture Brothers. I mean, there's you know, if you just say you know. Josie Wales. If you say, um, you know, um, Neo uh, Morpheus. Neo, see, Neo Morpheus. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Yeah, Professor Sherman Klump. Exactly. I mean, when you write these things down, people know, you you know exactly how that person is supposed to be portrayed, and your your players will will react to them with a certain expectation, and they will remember them. And um, I think think that's a fantastic use of film. Yep. Perfect. Very, very. So, okay, building beyond the theme. Okay, so, so you've got this idea. You've written a story. Uh, how do you get your players excited, drawn in? That was another part of the question we had. So I've, I've built this story, and I think it's a good story, but I'm having trouble drawing my players into it. Okay, well, aside from the aforementioned character motivation, which hopefully we'll do that, what else can bring them into the story to make them an active part of the encounter beyond the paint-by-numbers? Money. Well, yeah, money. Money usually will. Uh, you know, if you're talking about real money, yeah. <laughs> but what's really interesting, and TG, I, th- I know that you can certainly speak to this. Um, I- I've found that in game, I've met GMs that like to use rewards in game as a way to get their characters, uh, their players, excited about the game. It tends to actually work the opposite. Um, it, it, the I, games, yeah. the games I've played where I've thrown gold pieces at my characters and given them awesome, uber cool magical items, it just becomes a game of minis. It, it becomes the role playing goes away. Yeah, it does. It and really that's... does. It's it's hard. I think it's a hard thing to pull off rewarding with um, in-game mechanics for out-of-game role-playing. Yeah. And it just winds up becoming a min-max as a result. It's I think it's difficult to pull off to, to reward players for role-playing. Well, in terms of drawing them in, which will really get them role-playing on their own, I think there's a few suggestions we can make. Now, Dave... You and I were talking once, and this was, this was on a few podcasts ago. We were, we were having a discussion about GM player archetypes. And you had said that there had only been a couple times in your gaming career where you had actually truly lost yourself in the story. That you had, you had truly had complete suspension of disbelief, and you were in the story. And one of those times, if I recall correctly, was the, the rat ghoul encounter on the deserted space station that we had. Which rat ghoul encounter? The very oh, first the, yeah, one, yeah, the one where you guys we had to like, go through the maze station. and all that. I'm sorry. Yeah, where we had to basically go through the maze. That was the old space station. Yeah. Yes. To, 
kind of elaborate what what was it about that encounter about that particular session that got you immersed into the story so successfully that was about environment mm, external or in the story in the story that was all about the environment the uh, the darkness this the way that it was told the uh, uh, i don't know i i can't tell you it was just <laughs> i could see myself there and almost with a with a with a little scent of fear wafting through the room yeah and that that that's what you know well, when I was building that encounter, and for those of you who are listening, this was, I think, our, our second or third session with the Alternate Universe game. Um, the PCs had hitched a ride to a planet they were trying to get to, and uh, literally hitched a ride. And on the way, the ship they were on was making a delivery to a space station in orbit of the planet. It was a planet Taurus. And um, the space station, the, you know, they had to make the, okay, I'll make the delivery and then I'll drop you off. Well, when they arrived at the station, the station's dark. It's floating in space. And as they land and start exploring this dead space station, they find the first body. And they discover basically the station has been infested with rat ghouls. And it became this little mini horror adventure. It was very, very fun. There are a few things I really took care to do when I was crafting that. Did any of you guys notice the music for that encounter? Were we yeah, using mu- music at that point? really creepy music. Were we really? Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, because I, I like to use music in my encounters, and I encourage you to do that because it can really draw effect. Oftentimes, I think your players, and maybe this is the case with you, Dave, in terms of helping, won't even realize it's what's helping put them in the mind frame. Um, I mean, literally, I had some music from Republic Commando, some of the really, really creepy stuff, um, you know, alien soundtrack style, kind of, you know, and it really can help put you in the mood. Um, That's the so, ambience, you're, uh, ambience you're talking about. Yes, absolutely. You, yeah. I mean, um, the more little things that you do draws them in exactly and and once you've got that story built adding adding to the that that adds to the storytelling i think that can really help you're talking about total immersion almost mm-hmm. yeah. yeah now other things you can do in the middle of combat now one of the things that that scarecrow had talked about in his post is he said you know he was running i mean like like dawn of defiance Okay, so this is a pre-made module, and what's more, it's a good module. I've run it, I've played it. It's it's well written. It's engaging, um, but his players were acing their rolls. They they were they were rolling very well. They never rolled badly, and they just went through it, and it wasn't exciting for them. And he was like, "God, what what can I do with that?" Okay, if you are working with a pre-made story, feel free to alter it. Feel free to change a few things up. And there were a few suggestions I made um, that might might serve you well. So, okay, you've got PCs, and they've got these set goals, things they're trying to accomplish. Well, there's the major way you can throw a monkey wrench into that is complication. Complications are wonderful to tie in. Um, and let me give you here an example. Um, again, we, we turn to Michael Bay and Jerry Bruckheimer, what I call the five-year-old with bear trademarked. Um, five-year-old with bear is... Um, Pretty much something awful is happening. Um, a bomb is about to go off. An asteroid's falling down all around you. People are shooting guns everywhere. And in the middle of the commotion, a five-year-old stops in the middle and drops her bear and has to run back and go get it. And is crying and standing there while stormtroopers are shooting all around her. Adding an element like that. Hostages. Bystanders. Um, again, Dave, you say the traditional good versus bad. Well, yes, absolutely. You define the heroes and you define the villains. But at the same time, you have this sort of 
neutral element, this complication, giving the PCs a moral dilemma that they must also solve when they're in that story. So great, you want to take out the Sith Lord, and he's right there to take out, but he has just pressed a button that's about to destroy a city. Okay, well, what do you do? Okay, S- things of that nature can really help motivate your PCs and get them thinking outside the box. So, I don't know, thoughts on that? Well, yeah. if all else fails, you just blow something up. Oh, yeah, there you go. <laughs> hey, it's very Jerry Rockheimer, right? Michael Bay. Blow it up. And then make them try to figure out what it was that caused the explosion. Just random explosion somewhere. <laughs> I like it. Random explosion. Yeah, so a- a- absolutely. Random explosions, do it. Hurt it. So, you know... Uh, again, those are some basic suggestions, Gamer Nation. I hope we've we've given you some ideas to rattle around in your head. I would encourage you ultimately develop your characters, use those character hooks to help build your story, and then plagiarize the heck out of what's out there. <laughs> Watch some great films, read some good books, and borrow, but keep things simple, keep them uncomplicated, and ultimately give your players the ambiance, the atmosphere, and the, the complicated nature to allow them to enjoy the role-playing experience. So simple plot, complex situation is kind of how I guess I would sum that up. Right. Good sum. Yeah, I'm with yeah. you. So there we go. Cool. So what does that mean? It means I think we're coming to the end of the show. It's kind of a bummer. Ah, yes. Mm. It is a bummer. Next week, are we not? Are we not debuting TalkShoe next week? Yes, I believe we are. There's instructions on the forums as to how to log in. Everybody get a login name because we need to kind of police who we can put on the air directly on the air. You guys go check it out on the forums. TalkShoe is by the means by which we can take live phone calls. Would be very nice on the internet. And in the podcast, you know, unless we fire up a third computer in here and use Skype, which is possible, but <laughs> I prefer the talk show. Yeah, I'd, I'd go with that too. So yeah, it'd be kind of cool. It'd be kind of cool. Actually, we're going to try. And the reason we're doing it is because we need to work out the bugs and then we're going to take it live with Rodney the following week. Excellent. Well, cool. actually... Ho- hopefully that's not been totally confirmed yet. That's what we're going to that's what we're but shooting that's for. That's what we're going to try and shoot for. We 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 wanted to try and get Rodney on um next weekend to talk about um uh the upcoming Rebellion book, but he is gloriously going to be at Comic-Con, so um I really can't fault him for that. <laughs> yeah, me either. Meh, pretty much. So that's pretty much it. But if you guys uh for next week, please s- send us your questions and send us um send us your your bumpers of course. I never listen to the Order 66 podcast. And you guys can email any questions for D20 Docking Bay or ideas for suspending the rules, any when good games go bad segment, to uh, GM Chris at d20radio.com or GM Dave at d20radio.com. Yep. And they can also call us, can they not? Of course they can. Area code 206-600-5872 or L-U-S-A. The loser line. The loser line. Yep. 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 Thanks, as always, to our sponsors, GoDaddy.com, ThinkGeek.com, among a host of others. And check us out, D20Radio.com. It's a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful thing. 
a wonderful thing. This is GM Chris thanking my wonderful co-host, the luscious Twi'let goodness, and the ever-wizard GM Dave. And I'm wishing you peace, love, and good gaming. Thanks to everybody who sent in bits. Alex Van D, Trevor C, Old School, all of our listeners that took the time to call in bumpers, of which we only had a couple, but I like them anyway. And I'll say, keep them dice rolling. And may the force be with them. This is Christopher Cross, and I never listened to the Order 66 podcast. D20 Radio, where gamers roll www.d20radio.com This podcast and related websites are not endorsed by Lucasfilm Limited, 20th Century Fox, or Wizards of the Coast and are intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. The official Star Wars site can be found at starwars.com. The official Wizards of the Coast site can be found at wizards.com. Star Wars, the Star Wars logo, D20 logo, D20 system references, all named pictures of Star Wars characters, vehicles, and any other Star Wars related items are registered trademark and or copyright of Lucasfilm Limited, Wizards of the Coast, or their respective trademark and copyright holders. All original content of this podcast and its related website, including graphical, textual, audio, and visual information is the intellectual property of the Order 66 podcast. 